What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. Hello, podcast fam, and welcome to this week's episode with Lori Marini. Lori is a motivational coach who specializes in empowering women during their healing journey after a life crisis. Many lose their purpose and their fear of moving forward, leaving them paralyzed. Coach Lori guides them in fulfilling their vision of their best life. As a breast cancer warrior herself, Lori understands firsthand what it takes to go beyond fear and find the courage to live the life you love on your terms. Through speaking engagements, one-on-one, and group coaching sessions, Lori supports clients on topics such as life mastery, mindfulness, vision and goal fulfillment, and work-life balance. Lori has a master's in health science degree as a pathologist assistant and has worked in the academic hospital system as a tumor expert for 20 years. She is an ACC accredited certified coach by the International Coaching Federation. She is also the founder and owner of Lori Marini Coaching and the host of Conversations with Courageous Cancer Warriors podcast. So many amazing titles and such a big heart. Lori shares her journey in this episode, and I know that you will find so many amazing pearls of wisdom and insights. Here we go with Lori Marini. Okay, I'm super excited to have Lori Marini with me here today. I had the pleasure of finding her online, asking her if she would come on, learning more about her story, and she has graced us with her presence today, and I'm just really excited to share her insights. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So as we always start, I would love to know, what does true wellness mean to you? You know, I love this question. Um, True wellness for me is really, so for me, wellness is a state of being. So true wellness is where your actions are in alignment with your true self and where you want to go in the future and who you want to become. Mm, I love that. Of course, I always love the word alignment. And um, I think that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a word that maybe has become more used, but still has so much significant meaning and um, gives me a lot of like verbal and visual cues. So I, I really do love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I would love to start with a, a background. I am just now learning about the amazing work that you're doing based on the journey that you've taken. And so I would love to now introduce that also to my listeners. So tell us a little bit about your background and personal journey that led you to the work that you do today. Oh, thank you so much for the chance to do so. So um, by education, I am a pathologist assistant. So that is a PA where I um, am between the surgeon and the pathologist, I guess the slides and anything that gets taken out of your body at surgery, even in the ER will come to pathology and I'm the person who gets it. So I've spent my entire life perfecting and becoming an expert at identifying tumors. Um, so I was, I'm very used to the hospital system. I've, um, I'm the go-to person for everyone around me um, when they have a question about medicine or a medical condition, like I'm the one that they come to. 
So when I was 40 and I was going to my primary care provider, um, we set me up with a baseline mammogram. Well, at the time I was working for a prestigious um, hospital in Boston where I was helping them set up their new genomic center. And I was so busy at work, you know, like we all do, I just never went. So I went back at 41, I was extremely apologetic and I'm like, I know, I know I didn't go, but I promise you, I'm gonna go for that mammogram. And she turns to me and she says, you know what, Laura, you just bought yourself another four years. They just changed the guidelines to 45 for someone who has no family history, which I do not. So I was kind of like, hmm, okay. And, you know, I thought about it for a while. And then I, you know, I kind of like, well, I'll figure it out if I still want to go, you know, but she wasn't pushing it. She gave me a self-exam. I gave myself self-exams regularly and we didn't see anything. We didn't find anything. Um, so fast forward a couple of weeks later, I woke up to a dream where I was riddled with cancer. And it, I was so freaked out. I was in a, like, I was shocked. And so I called up my bestie. And I was like, look, I just had this really weird dream. I'm kind of like, don't know what to do about it. But can you please hold me to account and make sure I go and get that mammogram? And I don't know why it was like a mammogram for me, right? Like, I have no idea. It could have been any other test. But I made sure that I called the same day. They had an appointment the very next day. And as you know, that never happens. <laughs> So I show up to this appointment, they give me my mammogram, they send me on my way. The next day they call me and they're like, hey, we need you to come back. And I was used to that because, you know, I first and foremost, I knew I had dense breasts. And also, you know, it's very common that they need repaint images just in case to rule something out. There might be something weird with the imaging, but it doesn't automatically mean that it's something. So I was like, sure, no problem. So I get there. They give me a 3D enhanced. I still don't think anything of it. I So I get a repeat mammogram. They then give me, um, they start doing ultrasound on me. And by image 65, and they're in my lymph nodes, and I know what they're doing. They're literally measuring my nodes. I was like, we have a problem. Like you only measure nodes when something is going on. So, you know, I was sitting on that table. And they have like those colorful lights above you. I now know why they have them. I always wondered. But it's like to kind of distract you from what's going on. Um, and at that moment, I realized, okay, what do I love in my life? And what do I not love in my life? And what am I going to do when I get out of this? So like I was writing my will. I was planning for where I was about to move and what I was about to do and like the rest of my life. And they then asked for me to go for a biopsy the next day. I went for a biopsy. I was an absolute horrible patient because, you know, if you work in the healthcare industry, you know the good and the bad. You know what might be the worst case scenario. And for me, that was, you know, I was working with metastatic breast cancer patients, like end of life patients. So I was, that was like what I was thinking in my head, right? So I was like, I don't want you to biopsy me, but I knew I had to go through it. So I was a terrible patient. I gave my attending a really hard time and, um, you know, saying I didn't want any residents to work on me. I didn't want any extra passes for research. Like I was like, can you just hurry up, get this done? Like, and she was just like, it was probably not the smartest thing for me to do when I'm about to go and get shoved with a, you know, a biopsy gun. 
but um she was kind of like taken back at first and i think she realized like i was just really nervous um and it's really hard for when you know that it's somebody that's part of the family right so i think she was trying not to freak me out but at the same time she didn't give me anything so i had to ask her i'm like what is going on and she's like well you have cancer and i was like well what do you mean right i'm like nobody said anything to me up until this point so i was like what do you mean she's like well you have four masses on your left side mm. and so of course i asked to look at my tissue because that's what i do that's what i do for a living and i knew the second that i saw them that it really was malignant um so i then placed a phone call to my boss because um, he just so happened to be a world-renowned breast oncologist, right? The universe puts you exactly where you need to be. Um, and so I was really blessed that he just supported me and got everything set. And in two and a half weeks, I was in for surgery. Um, I opted to go with a bilateral mastectomy um, before I even knew that how my biopsies um, before the my diagnosis on my biopsies, like I knew that that's what I wanted to do because I had worked in the fields for so long. I'm the person that gets the mastectomies, the lumpectomies when they come out. Like we gauge the surgeons based on how good their specimens look. So I knew the worst case scenario. I knew that it's possible that if we don't do this right the first time, that I could keep going in for surgery after surgery after surgery, or even worse. As of right now, my nodes were clear. Um, you know, I could end up with metastatic disease. And right now, for me, surgery was curative. So I chose to go super aggressive. And, um, you know, because of it, I was really, really blessed to not have to go through chemo and radiation. And so at 41, in the best shape of my life, here I am, I'm dealing with, you know, no longer having my breasts, I'm dealing with no longer feeling feminine, I am dealing with the stress of going through treatment, I'm going through stress of having to go to my doctor's appointments. And the thing that surprised me the most was that as I was, you know, I knew where to park, I knew where the bathroom was, I knew where the cafeteria was, I knew where my doctor's office was, because I was getting treated where I worked. And at the same time, I was completely overwhelmed by the entire process. So for me, it's one of those things that I said to myself, if I'm feeling this way, how does anybody else do it? And I'm like, I need to do something. I need to do something to support people. I need to help people that are going through this because this is absolutely terrible. And none of us has, have asked for it. Right, like this is nothing that I would gift upon somebody, even though it's been a very, you know, a big gift in my life. It's not something I would ever want anybody to go through. So that's how I ended up becoming um, a life and cancer coach. I work with um, mostly women who are beyond treatment, and um, let's get you beyond the fear of like reoccurrence and why make plans and why do I even bother? This is probably just going to come back or you know, uh, and we get them to a point where we make plans in their life. We get them beyond the fear and back to living life. You know, like God didn't put you through or whoever you believe in didn't put you through all this trauma just for you to kind of be like, nope, I'm not doing anything else in life. Right. Like you went through all that so you can live. So I'm your cheerleader and I stand by you in order for you to make that happen. Hmm. 
What a really powerful story. I there's definitely parts of this that parallel my life with regard to, you know, being being a healthcare professional and seeing a lot of the sides that, you know, maybe not all the patients see and then having to sort of navigate it as a patient. I, I would love to to back up just a little bit and I'm mm-hmm. curious as to you mentioned no family history of breast cancer. Was there any family history of cancer at all? Like had you ever been exposed to a cancer diagnosis close to you or was it mostly in your work? So um, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother had bladder cancer, but it was one of those things that I didn't really know what was going on with that. It wasn't something that we saw her, um, you know, she had surgery and she was curative. And then my dad ended up with early stage prostate cancer. He had surgery. It was curative, you know, so it was one of those things that we never had to um, be a caregiver long-term. It was like, okay, you go in for surgery and you're good. Right. So it wasn't always like this big, huge thing that this is what's happening. My, and at work, you know, it's one of those things that like, when you work in medicine, you have a certain sense of humor, I guess you could say, or a certain mindset that like you're professional and like you see this all day long and you, you're able to emotionally detach somewhat. Mm -hmm. Um, but like when we would see how tumors would grow and like how patients would pre- like their lesions would present in a certain way in their bodies, we were amazed by it, fascinated by it because it's like something we've never seen before. Right. And so I found myself often saying, and many people may not understand this, but you know, um, for those that are in healthcare, you're like, Oh my God, that was, that was really cool. Right. And now I, I had to leave the profession also because I am so empathetic to what everybody's going through that I don't find it cool anymore. It actually paralyzes me where I'm like, this poor patient, this mm. is terrible, right? So it was really hard because I knew so much. I knew the best case scenario. So I prepped myself for, you know, I mentally prepared myself for the worst case scenario and I just hoped for the best case scenario. Mm. I think that's a really powerful perspective in that, you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of medicine is like that, you know, we every, there are cool things that happen that seem, you know, we seem, and I think, you know, we, as a comp- a compensatory mechanism, we kind of detach from the person part of it. And, you know, we see this medical, sort of anomaly happen. And it's like, wow, that's something super interesting. And now you're seeing it as, oh my gosh, but the person behind this and the family, and you know, all of the emotions that are going behind it and really interesting perspective shift because, you know, pathology is, I mean, you're not really ever seeing the patient, right? As an assistant, you're, you're seeing the slides, but you aren't connected to the, to the person behind the slide, right? So, you know, the universe has a very funny way of having things work out. So typically pathology and pathology assistants, we are laboratory workers. So we might, we might go and do specific procedures like FNAs where we are part of patient care, but we don't see the patients every single time. Mm-hmm. For me, what ended up happening was I, when I was setting up the genomic center, I would follow patients for repeat biopsies and I would be present at their biopsies every day, every time they would come in. So I started developing a relationship with these people that usually is not known for somebody that's in my role. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had that interaction. I, you know, I was able to see, 
you know, when they, when they had a new bony met reoccurrence and like what that would mean for them. And we'd have that conversations and I'd be the one holding their hands when they were crying, you know? So I had an extension of that. That's not routine for pathology. Yeah. Super interesting. And yeah, you know, you've mentioned a few times and we'll dive into that, the universe and um, that, that's language that I speak. And I also realize that it's woo woo to some people, but it is language that I speak. So I, I appreciate those connections and synchronicities that we are, we're identifying as we go along. But um, I'm thinking of, you know, what is somebody thinking as they hear your story? Okay. You, you were very attentive to your health. Yeah. You might, you were a year late on what was, you know, assumed to be a mammogram due at age 40, uh, but yet they pushed it back five years. You did self exams. The doctor did an exam in the room and yet those four masses were not felt. Is that correct? That is correct. And one of them was 2.2 centimeters, which wow. is a, right. So you should be able to feel it. And mm. I, I will be honest, right? Like I was 41. My boobs weren't as perky as they were. They weren't as fibrous, right? Like it's not like they, and it's not like I had breast implants that might hide it. Um, We should have felt it. And for some reason we did it. Wow. It's, it's just makes it so much more important as we hear these stories of, you know, what could have happened if you had not listened to your gut, to your intuition and waited until age 45, as the recommendations are now showing. And instead you listened to your gut, but also to a dream. So I'm curious as to prior to this dream arriving in your life, were you somebody who you would describe as, you know, intuitive, in tune to things, or did this sort of spiritual shift happen at at this point in your life? You know, that's a really good question because I've had experiences. Well, before I even answer that, like I'm clear that if I didn't go, I probably wouldn't be here right now, right? Because my the way that my pathology showed up, I had lymphovascular invasion, right? Like I most likely would be in a very bad spot today and I wouldn't be as healthy as I am. Um, but with that being said, I've had multiple instances where I've just had some really weird stuff happen to me that I can't explain that I kind of just shoot it off as like, okay. Um, But it wasn't until this moment where I truly believed that there is divine intervention. Um, And one of the examples, like before this dream, I used to, after grad school, I moved to Boston and I worked in several of the hospitals in Boston. And then I got married and then I ended up going back to Connecticut where my family is. And I worked for 13 years um, in Connecticut. And it was one of those things that one of the institutions that I did not work at at the time, or actually, no, that's a lie. One of the institutions that I worked at before was like, hey, we have this new positioning opening up with the sister hospital. We'd love to have you be a part of it. And, you know, we went back and forth and for over a year and a half, and I turned the job down three times. Like they kept coming back to me and like anybody who knows that Boston hospital system, like they're amazing. They could get anybody that they want. So I literally sat there one day and I was like, universe, I have no idea why you keep trying to send me back to Boston when Mm -hmm. I don't want to go there, but I'm going to just listen to you and I'm going to go. And so I just literally quit my job, sold my house, uh, sold all my things. And I ended up back in a super small apartment in the heart of the city to go and take this job that just so happened to be with, like I said, a world-renowned breast oncologist for a year later for me to need his help. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, now I officially have chills. I, there, we don't have video on, and even if we did, you probably couldn't see it, but the hairs on my arms are, are uh, standing up straight because these are the stories that I so want people to hear because oftentimes they'll be like, oh, you know what? I, there is something that continues to show up in my life. Maybe mm-hmm. I should listen to that because now I hear how that transpired for that person. Because if we don't, which I think oftentimes we, we don't because we're in our heads about all the logical reasons not to. I mean, you had plenty of logical Mm -hmm. reasons not to, you were settled, you had a house, you know, you didn't have any intention to go back to Boston. And, uh, so I, I really hope that who, you know, whoever ends up listening to this in case they, there's something showing up in their life that they, they take a second look because that's really powerful and how, we would never know how this would look different if you had not listened to that, but really, really interesting. And again, I, I completely speak universe speak and I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind how these, you know, events occurred and transpired in your life that, that, that was definitely divine intervention. Okay. Let's talk about you moving from being on the uh, healthcare professional side to becoming a patient how, uh, tell us a little bit about that journey from an emotional side, from, um, from navigating a, like you mentioned, and I, I feel the same. That's actually why I do the work that I do is I was the same. Like, how is anybody navigating this system when I'm having trouble doing this? So tell us a little bit about your experience of being a patient. So my experience of being a patient was easy in a way. In one, in one way, because I had everything done for me. Like I just put that one phone call in and I had an oncologist. I had a plastic surgeon. I had a surgeon. I had my um, social worker. Like everybody was lined up for me because someone else took care of it for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't need to do anything. And the person that I was seeing was the chairman of the breast oncology department. Right. I'm like, I couldn't get any better. So I was very, very blessed and I'm forever grateful. Um, And my heart was so full to know that I was just taken care of at the time that I needed the most. However, what was difficult for me was, well, the best story that I have is that like as a healthcare professional, you kind of think that you know everything, right? In a way, or like you at least understand it a little bit more than everyone else, right? You know the language, you know what the procedures are, you know what you know, what it means and how it works. And, you know, like there's certain things that you don't surprise you. But I remember being with my plastics guy. Now, mind you, the difficult part for me was that I had, because everything was set up for me, I didn't have a chance to kind of plan it out. Right. And as a planner, I was like, wait, what? I had two and a half weeks from diagnosis to when my surgery was going to be performed. So in those two and a half weeks, I had to decide, did I want children? which is a conversation I did not plan on. I had no idea. I'd never even crossed my mind that if I needed chemotherapy, um, that my eggs would no longer be something that I would want to use for childbirth, right? So they're like, do you want to harvest? Do you want to harvest your eggs? Do you want children? You need, you need to decide and we need to move forward ASAP. And then the other thing that was also happening for me is that um, I needed to decide in that moment, really, I had a moment to decide of, do you want breast implants or not? And it was one of those things that I'm like, I kind of didn't want them, right? Like, I was like, I'm fine with being flat. It doesn't bother me. And then at the same time, I was so unsure of what I would want in my future. You know, I was afraid that five years from now that I I would be wearing this cute little black cocktail dress and that I wouldn't feel feminine because I didn't have them. 
Like I, I didn't have enough time to process what I would want. And so that was really difficult for me because then once I made, once I said the words, like the train left the station and I didn't really have a say. Right. And so when I showed up and I met with my plastic guy and still, I'm still like, what is happening? Right. Um, you know, we were talking about, I'm like, look, you know, I don't really, I, I would love to be an A cup. If I don't need to wear a bra, that'd be really great. And the only thing that I want is I really want to keep my nipples and I hope it's okay for me to have this conversation. You're good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> and he looked at me straight and he was a stoic German man and I absolutely love him and I would hug him today if I could and he'd probably hate every second of it. But um, he looked at me and he was so straight with me where he was like, you're going to tell me that you're going to go through all of this. And this is where my medical background was a positive for me um, as a patient was he's like, you're going to tell me that you're going to go through all of this surgery and you're going to risk the chance of reoccurrence when you know that there's breast tissue in your nipples. He's like, Lori, you really going to do that? And that's all I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. So like as a patient, I really, I, it was that moment where I just let go. And I was just like, you, you're the expert, like you do it. Is to the point that so much so that even though I kept telling him, I'm like, hey, I want to be an A cup. And he kept like filling my expanders with more fluid, right? Every week. <laughs> um, and I'd be like, what size are we making me? Like, what is happening? And I was literally before surgery, I was like, what size are we having again? He's like, I don't know. We'll see when we get in there what looks best. And I was kind of like, okay. So like I wanted an A and I ended up more with like a D cup, but it was just one of those <laughs> things that I was just like, you know what? I'm going to let you do you because you do this every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, it's really interesting because I, I can understand the positioning of feeling like thank goodness I am in the medical field and I can now call upon, you know, this XYZ professional that I work with and Mm -hmm. his staff and we know exactly who to go to and how to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And, and much like you said at the beginning, then you think of what is anybody else doing who doesn't have that connection, who isn't able to make that happen? Definitely not in that timeline. And um, yeah, it is, it is a really interesting perspective to, to have and then to also be able to empathize with the general population who doesn't have the knowledge or the connections to that and realizing how really difficult of a system it is to navigate. And, and I've also heard from many others this sense of, urgency and of not having much time to make some really big decisions mm-hmm. and kind of being forced to make these decisions. But, you know, not, not necessarily in a bad way, you know, for you, it was surgery, you know, for others, I've heard them kind of mention, you know, going into chemotherapy, I wanted more time to, to make the decision about a treatment, you know, surgery, having a little bit of a different feel and, and consequence than, than long-term, you know, uh, chemotherapy, the long-term effects of chemotherapy and radiation. But I, I definitely can understand that sort of time crunch, you know, especially when you're kind of just living your life, not thinking twice about this. And now it's like all consuming. So really pretty interesting. Anything that, that comes up for you as super surprising or unexpected on the, the patient end, um, you know, kind of arising in a way that you're like, oh, I didn't realize patients were dealing with this or facing this. Um, and maybe, maybe the timeline is the biggest thing. And anything else that's coming up as surprising or unexpected? 
Um, I think the having kids was probably the biggest, um, the one that surprised me the most. However, you know, especially with um, October rolling up, it's one of those things that I never put it together how much people have to deal with outside of the hospital, hmm. right? The people who, you know, Pinktober is coming up and I, you know, I was, I just had gotten my explants, you know, exchanged out, my implants put in and everything about breast cancer was everywhere. And I couldn't be with it. Like, I remember recovering and turning the TV on and like, I'm like, okay, I just need to quiet my brain. Let me turn a movie down. And within five minutes, the person has cancer. I'm like, can I just get away from it for two mm. seconds? Like, this is driving me crazy. And that's why like, you know, intentions are, the, there's good intentions behind it. But at the same time, it's like, we need to be mindful of the people going through it. We need to be mindful that sometimes like, it's that saying that you never know what somebody is dealing with. Like, I have a really, I have an example of, I was so excited that my first solo outing by myself, because I wasn't able to go anywhere because I, I wasn't supposed to be going anywhere by myself. Um, I was able to get, you know, I was in a, an elevator building. I was able to take the elevator down to the first floor and get out of my building, literally walk around the block to go to a Starbucks that was right there, right facing Boston Commons. And I was so excited to just be outside and be alone for a hot second because I had, you know, amazing friends that made this whole huge spreadsheet of who was going to be helping me. <laughs> right. And like, I didn't have a free second to myself. And I remember going to the Starbucks and I grabbed the handle and I pulled it with my right arm. I'm right-handed and I couldn't do it. I then tried to pull it with my left hand. I couldn't do it. I then put both hands together and I pulled on the door and I couldn't open it. Mm. And it was, I literally felt so defeated in that moment. And I just sat there and I remember just standing in front of the door. And then some guy kind of came up next to me, looked at me like, what the heck are you doing? Right. And just opened the door. And he didn't realize that he was helping me by opening the door. And at the same time, he just witnessed like, me being the most defeated I've ever felt in my life, mm -hmm. like losing my breasts, doing all that. Like it was just something I needed to do. It wasn't, I don't find that I'm a hero for doing it. And in that moment, he saw me at like the lowest of the low and he didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. And if, and if the vibe that I got from him would have been like, Hey, how are you doing? I would have shared it with him. Do you know, like think like you don't know what gift you just gave me. Um, but it was just one of those things that the energies didn't align and it wasn't, I didn't share anything. So I just kind of walked in, hoped that the door wouldn't close and <laughs> I just went and I got my coffee. Right. But, um, and that's kind of like the things that surprised me the most is that it's everywhere. Sometimes it's insensitive and sometimes it's like people don't get it right? Like, and we don't want people to get it. We don't want people to know what it feels like to be on the side. But like, I've had people say to me, you know, you know why this is happening to you, right? They're like, this is happening to you because you haven't had kids yet. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, there's an increased chance, but why would you say that to me? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's one of those things of like, sometimes people just don't know what to say, or they don't know how to behave. And you just need to give them 
tons of grace and just give them tons of space to just like say the wrong things that you may not be happy with, but it's just going to be part of the process of, you know, what you're going through as a patient. Mm, Really, really important insights and perspectives. And I I completely agree. There's just not a lot of, I mean, you you go from appointment to appointment and what happens to people in between? This is what happens to them in between. They can't open the door. You know, like life is happening and it's happening to them in such a significantly different way now. And who's, you know, I mean, thankfully you had a a whole bunch of friends and some support, but even with that, these moments stand out to you as really difficult moments. And, you know, we think about all the people who maybe don't have the support system and, you know, really, it's really just appointment to appointment and then the suffering in between and the suffering during and it's, and Mm -hmm. it's so much and it's, you know, who's there for them at those times. And yes, I have done so many interviews on asking what, you know, what kinds of things are said, uh, you normally <laughs> unintentionally, like they're not intending to be bad, but so many things are said that you can't even believe are being yeah. said because we just aren't taught how to be. We're always trying to fix or come up with a reason or a solution. And that's just how we're taught to be. And we, it's really something, you know, novel to be able to just sit with somebody and except that we aren't going to fix this right now and we aren't supposed to, and it's just okay that we can just be with this person. So really important points there. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about now the work that you do with starting with the podcast. Your, your podcast is centered around conversations with courageous cancer warriors. Tell us mm-hmm. a little bit in your words, what you feel a warrior is and what kind of stories have come out of, of these conversations. So we have a clear delineation um, in our tribe. And it's one of those things of, as a survivor, you are just at the effects of what's happening to you. You are, um, but as a warrior, you will, you know, come out guns blazing. You're going to, you're going to give it your best shot. You're going to, you're going to prepare yourself. You're going to prepare everybody around you. You're going to educate yourself, empower yourself, and just, you know what, whatever happens, happens, but you're going to give it your all to just have it be that you're going to have the best life possible. Um, and so that's why I don't call myself a warrior for me being a cancer, I mean, a, a survivor, being a cancer survivor for me is, doesn't fit. Like I, I didn't survive it. Like I wanted to kill it. Do you know, like I wanted to go and I just wanted to have it be just something in my arsenal for when, you know what, the next thing comes up that I am that much stronger. And that's where we stand because we're not victims. Like it's something that happened to us and it sucks and we hate it. But you know what? Like you have two choices in life. You can either learn from your experience and make it have you become a better person, or you could be at the effects of it and completely lose yourself. And that's not what I want for anybody. And some of the stories that I have, uh, you know, I've been very blessed to have so many amazing guests come on and share their stories. And anyone who is listening, please, you are welcome. I would would love for you to come on and, and share your stories. And I'm a firm believer that if you've helped one person a day, like you've done your job. So for me, it was one of those things of being able to have people feel like they were heard Um, You know, we benefit from community and from shared experiences. And even though they aren't identical, sometimes going through something similar has you feel like, oh, I'm not alone. And you know what? Like, that's normal that I felt X, Y, and Z. 
Um, and it's, it's to create a safe space where people feel like they could go and they could just share what's, what's on their heart. And, and, you know, we have a Facebook group of the same that it's like, you know what, you're having a really bad day and you're really mad at life. Like come and tell me about it because you know what, I've been there. I get it. Instead of trying to talk to, like we just said, a friend who doesn't have the concept of what you've gone through to this point and is just going to try to fix it. You know what? I'm not going to try to fix it, but I'm going to try to just be a support for you and, and have you um, leave feeling heard and, you know, in a better spot than when I found you or uh, when we found each other. And as far as stories, oh, I've had, I mean, I've cried so many times. I've cried pretty much every single time. Um, most recently, we had a mom whose son had passed. Um, he was diagnosed with um, lymphoma, but he ended up passing from a car accident mm -hmm. two years later after he was diagnosed, when he was deemed um, no evidence of disease. And just being able to talk to her and to see how he lived his life fully, even while going through treatments. And like, he just had this spirit and this light about him where he was like, you know what, this is just something that's happening to me, but it doesn't need to define me. And that speaks volumes to me. And I feel like it's, it's where we all need to get to. It's like, that's the goal, right? Um, and then I've had, oh, there, there's this one episode um, with this gentleman named Terry who um, is metastatic melanoma. And he literally like graduated from the Citadel. Like he was like the most warrior-like person in life before cancer. So when cancer, you know, happened, then he took that same mentality of like, I'm going to go and I'm going to give this, like, I'm going to fight. I'm just going to give this to my all. I'm going to pack my arsenal and have it be to my advantage. And he, um, you know, he is just such a blessing and he has his own like website that is so moving um, that I'm blanking on the name right now, but he is, um, he had me realize truly that you are not your circumstances. Like, and he defined that for me that, you know, even though he had his leg amputated because of melanoma, that he's still going through treatments right now as I speak, you know, he is not going to let it bring him down. And every day he posts a motivational quote. And he looks out for people, even though he's still going through so much, um, so much of his own. Ugh, sorry, it's just. No, it's really, it's so powerful to hear some of these, these tangible real life stories. And I really encourage people to go check out your podcast because this, I mean, it's, it's through hearing the details of these people's journeys that we really start to understand humanity at a deeper level ourselves at a deeper level what wh how we can show up better for people and so i really appreciate the work that you do um both on podcast and and in your coaching tell us a little bit about the um the coaching that you do and what that looks like for people who work with you so i do one-on-one -on -one and group coaching sessions um and what i do is uh you know a client will call me and be like i don't even know well, I'm paraphrasing, right? Like this, 
um, they may show up and be like, you know what? I don't even know what's the point of making plans anymore. Like I'm just waiting for my next scan that's in a few weeks and I'm really terrified by it. And I don't even know why I'm even planning for my future. And like, we talk about it. We talk about why they would feel that way, right? It's a normal way to feel. And then we just, we work through it and we give them actionable goals that they could go through and we meet weekly or bi-weekly. It's really up to them. And you know what? I'm just like that little push. I'm that cheerleader that they could reach out to when they feel like they can't do it on their own. And you know what? Like you want to start a podcast. Well, you know what? I'm going to help support you start that podcast. And every week we're going to give you an action item to keep you moving forward and doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's been really great because they then realize like their life's not over. There's so much more life to live. And that, you know, the one thing that I tell them is that like, I understand your fear. We all have it. We all have that little voice in the back of our brain that every single time there's an ache and pain that's new or reoccurring, right? That we're like, oh no, there's something. And it's like, I got it. But like, even if your scan comes back with X, Y, and Z, like we'll handle it when we get there. Like, don't allow it to steal this moment for you. Live in the now. So powerful and such a blessing that they have you with all of the knowledge and insights that you've had, both as, you know, working in the system and also as a patient, just really, really, really great. I'm so happy that we've had this time to share together and that people are able to learn more about you and the important work that you do. Share a little bit about, and this will be in the, sh- in the show notes as well, where people can find you. So um, my website is lauriemarini.com. My podcast is, or I should say our podcast is Conversations with Courageous Cancer Warriors. Um, For those who are feeling like they kind of don't know what, um, a little bit lost, I actually just created a new virtual vision board workshop that's available as well. Um, And I, I do daily gratitude on Instagram. I mean, that to me, daily gratitude is what got me through. I would look for something beautiful and inspiring every day when I would feel when I was just at my lowest point. And it's what allowed me to just really keep looking for the good in humanity and the good in the goodness in life. Um, So I still do that. And then um, I have an upcoming book that's called Woman Who Boss Up um, in Health and Wellness. And I'm really, really excited. It's my first time authoring. So I am blessed to be surrounded with 15 other women. It's a collaborative book. Um, And that will be available soon um, in the couple of months. So there will be eventually a pre-order link available on my website. Mm. And I'd love also too, just for those listening, I love phone calls and I love emails, right? Like the, my information is on my website. Please call me. I know that sounds crazy, but in today's day and age, like I love one-on-one. I'm happy to answer your call. Mm, I love that. I so it's so true because we 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 went from phone calls being the norm to then it was like, well, all we do is text and and it's such a like invasion of my privacy if somebody's calling me. Why do they think they can call me? And um and and then it's like what you know, well, that's so crazy. Like, how did we retrain our minds to think that way? So I, I love that you're open to that. And um, so cool on the book. I am excited to, to read that. I, I, I just, I love when people 
feel so inspired to step forward and have a voice because then it then it's a trickle effect and a domino effect that others then feel that they can have a voice too. And so I feel like that's part of the important work that you're doing. And I appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thank you so much. This has truly been an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lori, thank you so much for sharing your heart and soul on this podcast and for doing the important work you do today. Thank you listeners for continuing to stick with me as we learn how to best mind our wellness. Because this is a journey, we don't learn it and then let it go. We continue to learn and honestly unlearn a lot of the truths that we held to be true and knowing how to now be mindful of mind, body, and spirit. My only ask is that you please head over to iTunes to give me a star rating, your honest feedback on how we're doing with this podcast so others can find us as well. I'll see you here again next time.